of each of you here, and, and uh, today being the last Sunday of 2017, this is always an interesting Sunday. Uh, Christmas is over, and then there's this one Sunday, uh, and then we begin 2018. I, there are churches even that uh, they kind of don't know what to do with this Sunday. There's uh, some churches, they just close on this Sunday. They don't have services at all. Uh, and uh, But we're not going to do that today. We are, as you can tell, having service today because I believe uh, we're here to exalt the wonderful Christ uh, and also to listen to His Word. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, I'll be there in a few moments, uh, but you go ahead and find the book of Genesis and turn to chapter 28. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture. Some of you are familiar with the Barner Research Group, and, and, and we've, I've mentioned them from time to time in the polls that they take. Uh, and they t- get, uh, do polls to finding born-again Christians. Uh, this poll that they took uh, was of evangelical Christians and basically found that most Americans, and, and you've heard this before, at least call themselves Christians. But when asked to describe their commitment to Christ, about half of those Christians said that they were absolutely committed to Christ, and the other half responded either moderately or less committed to Christ. Now, Bonner commented on that, and that's what I want to read you. It says, these figures emphasize how soft the commitment to God is. Americans are willing to extend some energy in religious activities, such as attending church or reading the Bible. They are also willing to throw some money in the offering plate. And because of such activity, they're convinced themselves they are a people of genuine faith. But when it comes to truly establishing their priorities and making a tangible commitment to knowing and loving God and allowing him to change their character and lifestyle, most people stop short. We want to be spiritual and we want to have God's favor, but we're not sure we want to We want him taking control of our lives and messing with the image and outcome we work so hard to produce. Now, let's take that thought and realize what he's truly saying. The idea that moderate commitment to Christ is acceptable to God. Think about it. Moderate commitment to Christ is acceptable to God, if we are truthful, I would say that that's a lie. Because moderate commitment to God, are we going to say that that is permissible, even though people do it, but is it right? It's wrong. Well, let me put it this way. All of you that are married, okay? All of you that are married, if your spouse came to you and said, honey, or, or whatever, you know, but comes to you and says, I am 95% committed to you and 5% committed to someone else. How would you take that? Would you say, well, I guess that's not bad. 
Or would you say, okay, we got to... You would say, no. A hundred percent. Well, are we going to go to God and say, well, God, I'm mostly committed to you. I'm, God, I'm almost 90%. 93% committed to you, but 7% committed to something else. Is that acceptable today? Is that what we're saying to God? And what do you think God is saying? You see, as a child of God today, we need to be 100% committed to him. And you say, well, preacher, that's impossible. But are we, are we going to just sit back and say, well, I can't do that. Well, you know, all things are possible through Christ. And we should be striving in our lives to be 100% committed to God. And I believe that our churches today would change dramatically if the majority of the church began committing themselves 100% to Jesus Christ. Our churches would change. But what's happening is that we are stopping short of where we need to be. We're stopping short of where we need to be in our commitment of Jesus Christ and accepting a lesser amount. Many of you know the story of Isaac. You know the story of his two sons, Jacob and Esau. You know in that story that Jacob beat out his brother for the blessing of Isaac. Esau wasn't very happy about it. You know that, you know, basically when his father died, he mourned his father. But basically in his mind, he was going to go kill his brother, Jacob. Jacob thought it would be a good time to go take a vacation and took off. And this is where I want us to to pick up on the story. Jacob has left because he knew his brother was after him. And so look with me in Genesis chapter 28 and look at verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward, toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it at his head, and laid it down in that place. And he dreamed. Now listen to this. A stairway, stairway was set on the ground with his top reaching heaven, and God's angels were coming up and down on it. Yahweh was standing there beside him, saying, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land that you are now sleeping on. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out towards the west and the east and the north and the south, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring." Look, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. But look at verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. He was afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, we find that Jacob, as he was running from his brother, found this special place. It, it touched him, and he didn't realize what he had come across. 
And here God had said to Jacob, Jacob, this is a place where you and your family can grow and you and your family can take care of things. But look at verse 16. In verse 16, it says, when Jacob awoke, well, I've read that one already, didn't I? Well, let's go to verse 18 then. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel. Though previously the city was named Luz. Jacob, then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me in this journey, if he provides me with food and eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the father then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth of all that there is. Now, as we look at this story and as we read here and in, in Genesis, what we find going on is that Jacob found a place where God was going to bless him. It was a special place, and he anointed it with oil. He placed the rock there, and this place was Bethel. Now, as I said a moment ago, originally he was from Haran, uh, and, and, and he knew he had to go back there and settle things and get things into place. And so this morning, as we look at this, I want you to see some of the, some of the lessons Jacob learned in his, his life. And, and, you know, all of us here, we learn different lessons, and for some of us, some of the lessons are easy to learn, and, and sometimes they're a little bit harder to learn. But what are the things that, that, that Jacob learned in, in this lesson is that, and I think we need to see this as well, is that he learned that sin is subtle. In other words, it's so subtle that sometimes we don't recognize it. We, we, we don't understand that, that, that it's hitting us. Now, I want you to, to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 33, okay? Genesis 33, and, and when we do that, we're jumping about 20 years now, okay? Genesis chapter 33, go down to verse 18. After Jacob came from Paddan, I said it fine in the first service, Paddan of Ram, he arrived safely at Shechem in the land of Canaan and camped in front of the city. He purchased a section of the field where he pitched his tent from the sons of Hamor and Shechem's father for 100 coestas, and he set up an altar there, and he called it God, the God of Israel. Now, could we show the map? I hope you have good eyes. Or maybe in your Bible, this, this is a standard map in most, in the back of Bibles, okay? All right. And this, oh man, it's worse, or my glasses is worse. Is that blurry, or am I having vision attack? It's blurry right now, but just imagine with me, Canaan is down in this lower left-hand side, and you see a little spike coming out of it. Right above there is Bethel, okay? Right above Bethel is Shechem. If you go up this blurry line, and you take a left up there with that red line, and you go, uh, that is Panoram uh, there. And so that is the distance that Jacob had to travel from up top going down. Now, 
as he was traveling. He took this journey to come back to the promised place that God had set. He said, this is where I'm calling you, back to Bethel. But what did Jacob do? He made that trip. He came all the way down. And he stopped in Shechem. Shechem was about 20 miles from Bethel. You could see Bethel from Shechem. But what did Jacob do? He got there, and what did he do? He purchased a section of land. That means, okay, I'm putting roots down. And he pitched a tent, getting things together, okay? And then, he must have been Baptist. He built a church and built one for his, for his baby. He put a temple there. He called it God, the God of Israel. Now, you would say, well, that's not a big deal. He was close. He was 20 miles close. He, he was close. I want us to see this morning, especially as we go into a new year. In 2018, when God calls us to something, or God calls us to do something, or God moves and shows us a plan, does God want us to complete that plan or just get close to it? You see, this is a case of where Jacob was thinking, well, you know, God will understand. I'm, I'm very close. I'm 20 miles. Jacob forgot the point. He forgot where the blessed place was, the place that he put the stones in and anointed it with oil, and God made his promise. And Jacob was like, well, you know, I put a temple here. I put a church here. You know, I built a home. I got a tent here. God will understand. Jacob was falling short of his commitment to God. And sometimes, even in our world today, we try to color it. You know, we have a bad thing of taking religion and using it to color things. And, and here we find this taking place uh, in, in this passage. Because sometimes religion is the biggest cover-up for disobedience. Just because we put a place of worship there doesn't make it all right. Religion sometimes is the biggest cover-up for falling short of where God wants us to be. I want us to see that Jacob, you say, well, preacher, you know, he tried, but God had called him. God says, I will supply your needs. I, you know, and, and sometimes I want us to see in this new year, we, we think that these things are little. And that is what's happening in our country today. We say, well, this is a little thing, and this is a little thing, and this is a little thing, and this is a little thing. But all these little things are, are adding up. It's a big deal to God when we stop short of what he's called us to do. Think of how many times God told Moses, this is what you would do. And Moses said, well, I'm going to do this. And he said, no, Moses, this is what I told you to do. Are we like them? Are we like Moses? Are we like the others? You know, sometimes we're a little hard-headed saying, God, I understand what you're saying, but I think this is going to be better. God, it's just a little bit. God, you just got to get over it. I want us to see today that sometimes we're falling short of where God wants us to be. And it seems so subtle. The second lesson I believe Jacob had to learn. And man, this is, this is one that we don't like. But he learned that compromise is costly. Compromise is costly. Okay, where did God call him to come back to? Bethel. Where did he go? Shechem. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 34. And the first 
four verses. Look at that. Dinah, Leah's daughter, whom she bore to Jacob, his only daughter, I believe, went out to see some of the young women of the area. And when Shechem's son of, son of Hamar, the Hidvite, a prince of the region, saw her, he took her and raped her. He became infatuated with Dinah and daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young girl and spoke tenderly to her. Get me this girl as a wife, he told his father Hamar. Hamar was the leader or the king or the elder or whatever you want to call it of Shechem. Now, here Jacob's only daughter had been raped. The men of Shechem were the cause of that. You can imagine the brothers of Dinah, who is Jacob's sons, what they thought about it. Now, they also wanted to begin trade amongst the families, the, the men of Shechem and Jacob's. And so they convinced the men of Shechem that they needed to be circumcised so that they could trade together. In the third day of that, they had the procedure, in the third day of recovering from that, while the men, the Bible says, while the men were still in pain, two of the sons of Jacob attacked these men of Shechem and killed them. Not only did they kill them, but they went in and took their possessions and came home and filled their home with possessions that were not theirs. Now, I say all that. Dinah had been raped. Now Jacob's sons were guilty of murder. Now his sons were guilty of going in and taking things and robbing things. And then, even in the house of Jacob, it had slowly began to be filled with idols of other gods. Could it be the consequences when we do not listen to where God tells us to go and we go where we think is best? You see, there was a stiff compromise here because his daughter was violated, his sons were guilty of murder, his other sons were guilty of stealing, and he was guilty of having his house full of idols against God. I want us to see that when we do not follow God, or we say, God, I didn't hear you right. Well, we did hear him. We just didn't want to do it. There is a costly penalty for that. And now Jacob was facing that. Could you imagine? Now, another thing you need to realize, in the family line of Jacob, one of his sons was named Judah. Guys, that's important. Because who came from the family line of Judah? Jesus did. That was one of Jacob's sons. Now, guys, what we're talking about here in the 33, 33rd chapter of Genesis is that a great war could have took place. The men of Shechem and the Jacob's sons could have got in a war and a lot of people could have been killed. And Judah could have been one of them. It, in other words, there was costly consequences that could have taken place. And as you see the story, there were costly consequences. Murder, stealing, rape, all of these things took place. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I imagine what Jacob was thinking about now. Was he thinking, man, I messed up. I didn't go where God wanted me to go. And now look what I've got. You know, sometimes maybe we feel like that, and maybe we've been like that. Well, I know God told me to do this or here, but I thought I could fix it and and do this instead, and everything would be all right, and, and I'm going to church more now, and, you know, because we want to tie it all in. But, you know, this is not what God called me to do or what God is telling me to do. But I want you to see what God did. Turn to Genesis chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel, and settle there. Build an altar there to the Lord who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his family and all who were with him, listen to this, get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourself and change your clothes. You must get up and go to Bethel and I will build an altar there to the Lord, to God, who answered me in my day of distress and he has been with me everywhere I go. I want you to see, we all mess up. We all do things that are wrong. But here, God still, and this is to me, shows God's mercy, God's, God's love towards us. And he didn't have to do this. Jacob had messed up. Jacob didn't listen. But God once again stepped in and said, Jacob, I've got you that place in Bethel. Come now. But look what he told him. He said, get rid of all those foreign gods. They're not going to do you any good here. Guys, as we approach this new year, I know tonight, I know some of you are going to bed early, some of you are going to stay up, but you know what, think about it. As we enter this new year, I believe there are some things we do not need to take into it. They are spiritual things, or I maybe not shouldn't say it that way, but things that are not spiritual that we do not need to take in to the new year. All they're going to do is pull us back to where we were. I think we need to listen to this. We need to get rid of all the foreign gods that we have allowed to come in in 2017. We need to purify ourselves. We need to see that, hey, we need to get right. We need to clean ourselves and allow God to do it. And then change your clothes. <laughs> you know, in, in, the, in the early days or years ago, when a disease went through a community. And that happened. When a disease would go through the community, you know, one of the first things they did, they would get the clothing of the dead people and they'd burn it. Because they, they knew that if they didn't get it out completely, it would come back. Guys, the same way. As we go into this new year, just as Jacob was coming into this land, we need to purify ourselves. We need to change our clothes and then get to where God tells us to go. I know some of us are on the verge of being hoarders. In other words, you don't like to throw things away. I'm kind of like that a little bit. I don't like to throw things away. I might need it sometime. And, and you know, and, and sometimes, usually, usually in a marriage, one is a, you know, wants to hold on to things, and the other one wants to throw everything away. Usually, right? Is that, is that true? You know, uh, it's bad when both of y'all want to keep everything, or maybe it's good when both of you want to throw away everything. Um, I was looking, uh, Angie's List, some of y'all watched that. She had 20 things to start off the new year that every household should get rid of. Well, that kind of, cur you know, the curiosity, I kind of go, well, what, you know, and one is when you put on a shirt, you know, the, you know, shirts and it's all out of shape, 
You know, the collar's no longer a collar, just kind of lays there, you know, and it's all out of shape. Those go. Okay? No question. All right? Plastic coat hangers that are no longer in shape. They're now, what's the fort? Instead of, you know, they're just kind of like this. Go. Okay? Regular coat hangers, you know, the wire ones? Go. Right? And she had several more. I don't, I don't remember those. You know, and some of you would agree with that, and some of you would say, no, 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 let's hold on to it. You know, as we enter this new year, God has a place for us, amen? And, and, and as we prepare to go, you know, there, there's some things we just don't need to take. We need to leave them behind. We just need to leave them behind. I don't know how... Your, how your garbage pick up, you know, most of us are Monday, Thursday pick up in the county. I don't know what the city does as, as garbage pick up, but, but, you know, last Monday was Christmas, all right? So when the garbage guy came, he came finally on Thursday, my house looked like, you know, I, 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 I had four cans and then all the extra stuff, and I had it mounted up, and I had to go out of town Thursday, so I was hoping he got it all, but when I got back, he just dumped all my trash cans inside one another and the other. You know, he probably going, this guy's got too much trash. Think about some of the things we've accumulated spiritually, or think about things we've allowed to come into our life. That's not helping us spiritually. We need to get rid of those. Because maybe they're hindering us for us to be where God wants us to be. And maybe those are things we need to get rid of. And so today, and, and as you celebrate and as you time with family and friends, make time to just say, God, are there things in my life that I need to get rid of? And I don't need to carry in the new year? It might make you feel better. It might give you a, 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 a freedom. And so... Pray and ask God that this week. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask and thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would look to you. And Lord, that we would look to you and say, Lord, show us the things that we don't need to carry on. And the things that we need to get rid of. Lord, help us and guide us. I thank you for this day. And ask, Lord, that you could speak to us in this time. In Jesus' name.